Welcome to The State of Me, hosted by Tanya Louise. State of Me is a podcast highlighting that with struggle comes strength. And by sharing stories of the everyday highs and lows, we can rewire our mindsets to overcome our fears, self-doubts, and create a life we love. Hello and welcome back to my potty. Um, Today's episode is going to be talking about caring for others and how that can have such a big impact on your life at such a young age. So this is something that happened to me or not necessarily happened that I made a decision Um, and like all 26, 27 year olds, um, you think you're absolutely invincible um, and that you know best. And so I took on a responsibility that I thought I could handle only to learn that it was a huge mistake. So I, so I thought at the time, um, and, and I don't mean that in a nasty way once you listen to the story, but, um, yeah, it definitely was a lot more than what I was expecting it to be. Um, very young and naive and oblivious to the amount of, um, responsibility and work that I was about to get myself involved in, um, It all eventually caught up with me and I am grateful for where I am today and for the journey that it took me on. But boy, was it a bloody roller coaster ride. So um, my parents split when I was 22, I believe, nine years ago. Someone do the maths, please. Um, Yeah, so I think I was around 22 years old. I wasn't actually living at home at the time, but... um, my dad had a really difficult time with the breakup and my mum had already mentally prepared for it. And I think, I think dad knew it was coming too, but then didn't really think it was going to happen. I'm, I'm not too sure, but um, he definitely hit rock bottom and I'm going to go into the story and explain in more depth of the experience that I went through during this journey um, um, of my parents' separation, of my dad's health. Um, being an empath that I am and wanting to look after everyone. Um, so yeah, let's get into that. So for those who don't know, dad's got um, depression and anxiety, diagnosed with psychotic depression um, and was on medication from the age of when I was seven. So I'm not sure how old he was, but I was seven years old at the time. Um, and that was a really big traumatic experience for us. And I think it probably didn't really affect us or I guess until I got older that I realized that it, it was a problem I definitely um, suppressed and changed as a, as a kid um, during this experience that we went through with dad being in hospital and being quite unwell um, because I guess back was it so if it's nine years ago oh sorry when I was seven shit that's ages ago so <laughs> back then um, mental health you know has progressed so much um, and evolved and we know so much more about the mind and how it all works so I feel like back then it was still a little bit old school and he ended up getting um, so the story like he sort of lost the plot <laughs> basically and got um, mum like we all woke up in the middle of the night and there's some stuff that happened and um, he got taken in an ambulance to a hospital um, and he actually had shut down. Basically, it's when you go into a catatonic state and you don't talk or speak. He was very like, so for mum, I remember mum telling me the story of him being um, very much like a vegetable, sitting on the couch, not talking. I think they had a um, cat team, possibly it's called, come in and um, 
uh, try and get him to voluntarily go into um, care where they could monitor the medication that they were going to give him um, and see how his body responded so that they could get it sort of right in terms of antidepressants and um, psychotic um, medication and whatnot um, to get him back to a functioning human being. So um, we spent a lot of, um, he eventually, they had to um, admit him into hospital uh, against his will, or but he wasn't really responsive. So they kind of had to just do it for his, for his health. So dad went into um, a hospital um, back home in Melbourne. Um, and, it's, and it's where he spent quite a bit of time where they did do that process and just figure out some t- um, medicine and tablets and whatnot for him to getting back to his self and we went there to the hospital mum's a bloody trooper so she's looking after three kids and a sick husband um but dad was very picky once he sort of come to it I think I think he might have had a stroke actually in the hospital and then he kind of came good again um and he didn't like the food that was in the hospital so mum would make him Lebanese food and other things that he liked and we would go and spend dinner with him um every night and talk to him and stuff and, and see him and I vaguely remember this I have some um Memories of sitting at a table in a very white clinical space. I mean, he was he was in a ward with other um, people with schizophrenia and Tourette's and a few things like that. So there was definitely a, a lot of patchy memories of quite um, out there episodes happening around us. But um, other than that, I was quite young, so a little bit, um, you know, just oblivious to what the situation really was. Um but yeah, so we would go in and, and go and see him for quite some time and eventually he came back out. But um, dad always had come in and out of depression. He was always on medication, I guess, from the age of seven when you start to really form memories and, and remember stuff. I think dad, for me, I always thought that he was just a very unhappy person um, and just sad and moping around about uh, about the place. And um, I don't know, I just didn't really have, I didn't really have a relationship with dad growing up, unfortunately, in terms of what you might think a normal father figure would be in your life. And I think I saw it so much around with my friends and their parents and their families um, and their dads taking them to school or going to events and whatnot with them and sporting stuff and all these things. And, and dad wasn't like that with us. It just wasn't how our life or family were. And it, it didn't at the time. I mean, yes, it was frustrating and I went through um, quite a lot of things, but um it's also your norm. It's just like, okay, well, that's just how dad is. Dad doesn't come and do those things and mum does that all. So, um, yeah, it just became our norm. Um, so I was very fortunate to have um, some really, really close friends and their uh, dads become my father figure. Um, I think I probably wouldn't have been on the straight and narrow if I didn't have that in my life at all. Um, but dad would travel every year for three months to go back to Lebanon and see his family. So his entire family um, is based in Lebanon and he only had us out here in Australia. Um, So every year uh, he would go off on a three-month holiday. We would be piled in the car and all head to the airport, say goodbye to him. It was made a very big deal. You know, he was heading off for three months and then he'd be coming back. Um, You know, we'll (laughs) often make games out of the number plates and the the taxis and the, the cars going by like, and eventually we were just so over this trip because it was happening every year and we always had to make sure that we were available to go. But um, yeah, that was his life. He literally like was nocturnal pretty much. He would be up during the night and sleeping during the day. Um, therefore, that's why I guess we didn't really see much of him. Um, and he didn't really sort of help around the house or, um, like I said, take us to sports stuff or get out on the bikes and go riding um, on a bike ride or come play with us in the in the garden or... I don't know, just normal things, kick, kick a footy around with my brother or 
me even <laughs> like there was just all that sort of stuff that didn't really happen growing up and I mean I now understand that it was more so because he was going through mental health and a lot of um things that were happening to him that he probably didn't even understand or could explain um he was constantly on and off his medicine he kind of thought that it was working for him so he'd go off it or um he thought it wasn't working so he didn't want to take it and that was a battle between him and mum and the doctors and whatnot trying to keep him on the medication um to help him out but I guess you know you just never know what someone's experiencing um when you're heavily medicated like that and being diagnosed with psychotic depression um it was hard at the time I, ex I accepted it for what it was, but I really truly never understood what he was going through. And I don't think I ever, ever will. Um, so mum and dad didn't have the fairy tale kind of marriage, I would say, or relationship. Sorry, mum, but um, she knows it anyway. But yeah, he just wasn't that father um, figure. He wasn't that uh, husband figure either that, you know, I, I guess most of us just thanks to, uh, movies and fairy tales um, want that forever bond with someone, your best friend that you're going to share your life with. And unfortunately, mum and dad lived two very separate lives in ways where dad had his friends and would go off and do his thing and mum did hers, um, which I think mum liked it in the end anyway, um, because she was effectively bringing up three kids plus one um, with him. And, you know, she did a lot for him. She was a stay at home mum in the beginning um, and absolutely nailed it. Um, seriously, the most hardworking and insanely strong um, inspiring woman that I know I, I could not she's so resilient um, and just I, I wouldn't I couldn't be able to be the mom that she is today because she just has this strength that comes from um, I guess a crazy upbringing for her own self but um, she just gets on with it she just makes decisions and that's it she's just committed um, and gets on with her life so I love that about her um, Mum was actually, so mum was 15 when she met dad and he was 30 and they eloped in Lebanon. So mum had a Lebanese stepdad and um, the Lebanese stepdad took them all to Lebanon when they were 15 and young. And that's where she met dad, fell in love and got married at the age of 17, I believe. Um, and then popped out my sister at the age of 18. Um, and they lived in Lebanon and came back to Australia when they had me and then they went back to Lebanon and eventually settled on living in Australia and then had my brother um, six years after me. So dad didn't really work much due to his condition. Um, I think when we first came out to Australia that he had a few jobs and stuff. I, I don't really know <laughs> what he did. I know he did. Um, he was a pizza maker for a while there. Um, that sounds really lame, but he worked in a, in a shop um, with uh, um, our uncle and or friends or something like that. So um, he used to do that for a very long time and it was good. We got a lot of pizzas growing up, so that was nice. Um, and, and back in his day when he was in Lebanon, back in his day when he was in Lebanon, he was a yacht captain um, and travelled a lot and took around. The rich men drove their yachts for them all through Italy um, and, and whatnot. So he had a really cool adventurous lifestyle like that. He also um, wrote music, so Lebanese songs um, and can sing. That's probably why my sister can sing. Um, but yeah, he really, really enjoyed and loved. I mean, I always remember him sitting on the couch at nighttime, writing music and singing his Lebanese songs and stuff. So that's something that he was very passionate about. And he sold a lot of those songs to, um, beautiful, famous singers over in Lebanon. Um, so we didn't really grow up well off, you know, we weren't poor and we, and mum did her best to honestly give us 
a life without missing out on hardly anything. We got to go to camps and we, you know, got to go to Macca's for little um, takeaway nights and just like the usual kids stuff. Mum always made sure that we didn't go without or miss out on anything and were going to all the events and doing the sports and she definitely went without herself in order to give us the life that um, she wanted to create for us. So she is an absolute legend. Um, I remember mum always being there to support us, like through netball days. I played netball for many, many years and mum would be there to pick us up and drop us off and watch the game and support us and, um, you know, take us to the parties on the weekends as we grew up and buying us alcohol and, and whatnot. So, I mean, dad was kind of good for giving us a bit of cash here and there on the side. Um, and telling us to not talk to the boys, do not talk to the boys, <laughs> you talk to the boys. <laughs> but um, yeah, he just wasn't really a big part of our lives. And mum had a lot of that responsibility dealing with me, especially as a teenager, because I was a rascal and a half, um, gave them hell for sure. Um, but yeah, dad just wasn't that parenty kind of guy. So I got a job at the age of 14 to have my independence and spent every cent of it on clothes and drinks. Had myself a great time from the age of 14 to 18, pretty much really um, enjoying <laughs> being able to get out of the house and have my own money. Um, growing up as the middle child, um, I had so the older sister and a younger brother. Um, and it was your usual normal sort of sibling rivalry kind of situation. Um, we definitely got along. We had our bad days, our good days. Um, Luna was two years older than me and my brother's six years younger than me. Um, but yeah, we just we did normal children's stuff, I guess. Um, playing, I guess, we remember the most was playing Nintendo 64 um, and all battling each other, having the, you know, the four separate screens on the TV um, and Mario Kart racing and all that sort of stuff so like we definitely had a great upbringing and I played a lot of sport growing up um which was good getting out of the house and playing netball and whatnot so I yeah really we had a sort of normal upbringing like mum would make us afternoon teas after school and you know you get like the clicks biscuits and stuff like that and just like sitting outside and climbing trees and um she nailed the food side of things to be honest we never really went without she always put a good healthy um, meal on the table and we always had dessert, which was great. Um, so yeah, I feel I feel definitely that my like learned nature of like caring and being an empath and um, wanting to help others has come from my mum for sure, and watching how she was with us, and she was just such a good mother in that way, where she just generally cared about her children and wanted to do the best for us, and she. She really did. She went above and beyond. And then I guess um, watching my dad go through depression and his struggles and his moods and stuff, subconsciously I think it registered that I wanted to be able to help him but I, I couldn't, I didn't know what was going on and I also didn't want to be a part of it at all at the same time. It's like as you go through your teenage years, you're like, why aren't you normal? But um, I think you know, obviously now I understand but it impacted me a lot at a young age and I was very, um, and I still am, quite an emotional being um, because I generally just care too much <laughs> about other people and their wellness. So um, yeah, it, it sucked because it would have been nice if dad was around a lot more. I mean, he couldn't make it to my 21st birthday because he chose to go overseas um, a bit earlier than he normally does and and a few things like that. So, you know, of course it impacts you as a young teenager, you know, 21 going into adulthood and your own father can't even be at your 21st birthday. But um, you cop it on the chin. Like I said, it was the usual for us. And I sort of, you know, 
just had to adapt, I guess, and accept it for what it was. I loved him nonetheless, but it just made it very difficult because he wasn't what we wanted as a father. Um, my sister made a really great video actually at my 21st birthday, um, being him and wishing me well. So I think that was really cool. Um, I think funnily enough, even though dad wasn't around for a lot of those things like my netball games and my birthdays and stuff like that, I still had a very special bond with him, I'd say, more so than mum. Mum and I clash because I think we're very similar. Um, and yeah, I found that from dad, despite him not being around, what he lacked in presence, he provided with words and affection and he always said, I love you and um, and kissed us goodbye. I mean, it's pretty funny because as kids, we were just like, ew, dad, go away. But um, yeah, looking back now, I think that's something that's very beneficial and important for children to have that nurturing and affection um, in a safe environment. And unfortunately, mum didn't often say she loved us, but she showed her love through all her actions and taking care of us. And I guess it's what she knew best since how she knew to show her love. And, and I understood that as I got older, but I, I did struggle a little bit with not having that affection. Um, I would often be the one that would go and sit on her lap and want to cuddle. Um, but it just wasn't mum's nature. And I understand. So it was, um, dad was always up for a cuddle if I really needed some affection. Um, actually, it was pretty funny because as we got older, dad would, usually he's always like, you know, don't talk to the boys or um, you're going to a party. Where are you going? Who are you going with? What are you doing? <laughs> um, you know, 21 questions. But um, as he got older and I kind of like wrapped him around my finger a little bit, um, I would be leaving to go out or something. And he'd be like, you going? And I'm like, yeah, dad, I'm, I'm heading out. Like, I'm leaving. See ya. And he'd be like, okay, high five, <laughs> which is pretty cool. So we kind of had these cute little bonds and stuff. And he would call me Tano. <laughs> um, I mean, back when I was a kid, I was a belcher. So I used to burp really loudly. <laughs> and... Um, and every time I did that, he'd be like, Tano, no, not good. <laughs> oh, gosh, it's for the boys to burp. You don't burp like that. <laughs> Some of the things he'd say, God, too funny. But, yeah, so we had um, a nice little bond in that way. And I was definitely a pain in the ass of a teenager. So I caused a lot of strife, especially for mum, I guess, caused a big headache for her just being a terror. Um, so I ended up moving out at, of home at the age of 19 um, briefly with a boyfriend back then. Um, and that's when I brought my puppy, Sammy, little man. Um, and then again, I moved out with my best friend a little bit later on after that. So that relationship ended and I moved out with a best friend, um, for quite some time, which was great fun. That was really, really good experience, but I wasn't home as much. And, you know, obviously I had my license at the age of 18 and I was just out of the house because, like I mentioned above, mum and dad's relationship wasn't amazing. Um, it, it wasn't very loving and therefore they did fight a lot, unfortunately. And it was just quite a toxic environment to be in um, as you're growing up. So I always made sure I was out of the house once I could get out on my wheels. Get the fuck out of there. But um, love you guys. So I guess by moving out of home and um, living with my girlfriend and stuff, I wasn't really around to see mum and dad's relationship fall apart even more so. Um, and to be honest, like I never wanted to hear that, you know, you, who wants to hear that your parents are going to separate or that it's, it's not working out or that your mum's unhappy. Um, but mum was mum was open about it, I think, when it all started to come about and she had a plan and she knew what she wanted to do. She was ready to leave dad and she'd made that decision for her. And it wasn't. it's not until you get to this age, I guess, at 31, that you understand that someone needs to do that for them. I was a bitch and a half during this time because I just didn't want them to separate. I just felt like it was 
going to have a broken family and it sucked and I didn't want to be that kid that had the parents um, not living together and what was that going to look like and how was it going to affect me. I was very, I guess, selfish maybe. But we'll never understand anyone's relationship. So we can never judge. And all we can do is focus on ourselves and trust in how we are feeling. And if we are not happy in a place or with a partner or in a job or whatever it might be, you need to do what is best for you and not worry about what anyone else is going to think or say or how they're going to judge you. Whatever, because obviously if it's affecting you and your mental health, um, and I know, you know, there's kids involved in these situations, but at the end of the day, I personally would have preferred my parents to have split, now that I'm older, looking back at it, to have split way earlier so that I wasn't growing up in a toxic environment and seeing them um, not love each other and, and, you know, fighting quite a lot or disagreeing on quite a lot of things or not even, just not seeing them together, like not experiencing seeing your parents um, be affectionate or um, go do things as a family and, and all of that sort of stuff. So I think that's so important. So I would have preferred that they split earlier so that, you know, what about our life could have looked like then um, hopefully was less toxic. Um, and I don't know, I just think personally that you need to make those decisions for yourself. Obviously, you've got to factor in your kids, but mum was at that stage where she just wasn't happy anymore. Um, and... To be honest, dad kept talking about wanting to move to Lebanon for good. You know, he kind of had his his feet on either side of the fence in Australia and in Lebanon and he couldn't make his decision about where he wanted to live. And that must have been hard as well. You imagine having, you know, kids and a wife and not wanting to settle down and he's constantly traveling and up all night and whatnot. So it's just unstabling. And mum, I think over the time of doing it all, basically being a mum and a dad, um, it got to her and the stress of all of that and then she did you know consider her health and her well-being so um yeah mum made that decision and I, I do remember actually a conversation with my dad so I was living out of home at this time I actually had moved out with a new boyfriend um and dad um I remember dad saying to me you're going to come to the airport you have to come to the airport and I'm like oh god like we were over it by this stage man this is like years and years of going to the bloody airport to say goodbye to you but you're coming back anyway and I said to him um dad like I'll come to the airport but only if you're not coming home like I'll come and say goodbye to you but if you were planning to stay and live in Lebanon well like tell me now like he just couldn't tell me whether he was going to stay or not he's like I don't know baby I don't know what what I'm doing and maybe I come back maybe I don't come back but you have to come to the airport just in case and so like in that conversation alone it's like I knew that deep down in his soul you know he was unhappy and he wanted to go and live with his family back in Lebanon and if you think about it, he spent 30 years growing up there and living his life there and it's what he knew. And then he came out to Australia. Um, and I mean, like some people, so many people have done that and lived here. But for some reason, dad just never let go of that attachment of wanting to be home and around his mum and his, and his brothers and sisters. And they were a very tight-knit family. Um, so I can understand that. And with someone going through mental health, um, you know, I guess seeing his family was something that helped him. So at this stage, mum had known, like she knew that the marriage was not going to be w working out anymore. Um, and basically, I'm really bad with dates and stuff. So I was at round 22. I was living at a home. Dad had gone overseas that year, um, as usual, like June, uh, July, August-ish or September. Um, and mum told me, some, you know, this because I just suppressed a lot of it. I, I wasn't home, so I didn't know what was going on. But like mum did mention that, you know, dad was packing a lot more than he normally does and she was helping him sort a lot of stuff out and that they had had conversations about him wanting to stay in Lebanon and just giving it a go and seeing what that's like and they would live two separate lives. Um, so when he was over there, 
And this for me, I was a brat and a half, but I just couldn't handle it. And even though I had some, you know, concept and idea of what was going to happen, I mean, I was still pretty young. I come to think about it now, just justifying my behavior. Um, but yeah, mum, mum called dad um, and confirmed and told him that there was no longer a relationship here in Australia with them um, and that they were no longer together and mum had made a decision that she wanted to separate. And I think deep down, like dad loved mum. I think he still does. And he probably wanted this idea of like, yes, I've got my wife and kids in Australia and I'm still attached to that, and but I'm living over here in Lebanon and not feel that pain or stress or of separating or breaking up with a wife and mum and dad were together for 27 years I believe so um, it's a really really long time and when mum did tell dad over the phone he was absolutely heartbroken and I'm sorry mum but I love you <laughs> that broke my heart as well sorry um yeah I just remember really struggling I just remember really struggling with that concept of mum telling him the news over the phone and him having to sort of handle that on his own and not be with us. But then I guess now at an older age, I understand completely what she did. She's not a cold hearted bitch. Um, he had his family there, his mum and his brothers and sisters. And as much as it was a shock to everyone else, obviously their relationship was not healthy and, um, and mum needed to put herself first. And so it took me a very long time to process that. Went through a lot of therapy um, to try and understand that whole whole experience. But um, I think what made it even more difficult for me was that um, a little empath in me. Dad called me constantly from Lebanon once this had happened. And um, I'm going to get my shit together here. <laughs> um, yeah, I was caught in the middle of it all because dad would call me and say you know baby you need to talk to your mum you need to tell her she needs to fix this I still love her I want to come home and um you know what can we do and how can you help me and it was just ongoing for a very long time and I was trying to support him emotionally um live my own life um you know mum mum at this stage had moved out of our family home that we'd been living in for 15 years and that was a big process in itself. I, I was I wasn't there, but it's weird because like that's the place that you go back and you have your you know dinners and stuff. I see my siblings and they moved far away from where we grew up, um, and that yeah that was actually that was a bit difficult too. You know, leaving behind all those memories in that house. But yeah, I think Dad just thought he had a safety net here and, and didn't think Mum would actually leave him, despite that they had spoken about it. And so this was in June two thousand and twelve, roughly. Um, so a very long time ago now, and. You know, I understand mum needed to do this for herself. Like she was so unhappy in this marriage and stressed to the max. Years of bringing up a family on her own and caring for a sick husband. And like she did never put herself first. You know, she never bought herself nice things or um, gone out for dinners or had friends of her own or um, I don't know. She just lived a life with her kids, for her kids. And, you know, she spent a lot of time with her family here and sisters Um but yeah, at the time I thought it was very selfish of her, but I didn't realize what she was going through because I wasn't living life in her shoes. So I respect her decision completely today and um, I'm happy for it because when she made that decision and she moved away and she got out of that environment for herself, which is something I'm personally experiencing um, now um, in terms of changing environments and, and leaving the toxic people behind in your life, she 
became her true self and she her inner child came out and she was happier um she was happier towards us she was happier in general her health was better and and now i understand that it's so important to just make that decision and rip the fucking band-aid off and just go for it whatever it is that you want to do honestly because she just got that energy back and she started living life for her so um that was that was incredible to see and understand and i think it just took me a very long time and i wasn't i wasn't living at home i eventually moved back in with them um Mum, Luna and Ryan, um, we all moved in together. So um, well, I moved in with them where they were for quite some time. And that's when, actually that's when, so you would have listened to my journey about getting sick and that's when all of that happened actually in that house there. So I think there was obviously a lot of trauma and stress and whatnot going on when your family separate and dealing with all those emotions. And um, it wasn't until a bit later on that I got a bit of therapy around all of this. So I hadn't really processed at all. And then I obviously got sick as well. So a lot happened in that place, that shithole of our house. <laughs> um, but on the flip side of all of that, dad crumbled. So living in Lebanon, he was surrounded by his family, which was great to have that support. But his anxiety and depression and health completely declined. Um, and because obviously, you know, I was talking to him constantly and he was just so heartbroken um, and in shock. And I think I do believe that you can have that sort of like heartbroken, um, like, like I don't know just stress and issues and whatnot because of losing something that you've known for so long and having to process that and when you're not mentally stable either and not having any support over there in terms of you know unfortunately the stigma around men not going and getting therapy but even in Lebanon itself I, I know I don't know what his brothers and sisters would have been there for him for sure I know that my um, dad's sister was over there at the time and you know she would have supported him but he had a lot going on. So it was really tough. Yeah, it was really tough. And this is where things changed for me because so I went through my whole um, journey of getting sick and unwell. I went through a breakup during that time pretty much as well um, towards the end of my sickness, but it was pretty rocky through that. Um, and then coming out of that, I would have been, so it was 2018, so not very long ago, 2017, 2018, I think, um let's say so 2017 I'm going to go with maybe um dad really declined in his health and ended up um either overdosing I can't recall exactly but overdosing on his medication um which put him into um another catatonic state where he turned into a vegetable again and it wasn't talking um and ended up going into hospital over in Lebanon um this time around it was quite severe and I had calls from my uncle um to tell me that you know he potentially wasn't going to make it um and at the time my sister my brother didn't really have much to do with my dad um I guess because they were living through that whole experience at home um when things are you know quite rocky before they separated um and you know we didn't really have like my brother didn't really have a relationship with him growing up at all compared to my sister and I um and you know Luna was doing her own thing and we all sort of had split and gone our own ways and stuff like that living our lives as you do so um during this time it was me constantly dealing with the uncles and aunties and everyone calling me and telling me that I needed to do something I needed to get him back to Australia I needed to help him unfortunately in Lebanon in the um hospital system they don't have a public health like we do here and so it was 20 grand a pop um to have him in there and he'd sort of come in and out um a few times after that as well so when he was in hospital he was in a catatonic, catatonic state um unresponsive 
um, I think they had things to help him to breathe. He was having mind activities, what they called it, which I think is because when you do go into this state, um, it's like having like epileptic seizures in his brain. Um, and so they actually used, if I, I think they used um, shock therapy on him, which is, I don't know, I don't agree with it, but they were trying to, I guess, connect it to the electric um, frequencies and energy that was happening inside his brain, but I don't know what they were doing back then. So um, yeah, he was just in a really, really bad state in in hospital in Lebanon um, and was diagnosed with, with epilepsy. Um, and eventually, I mean, very lucky, very fortunate they, that he had, I think he had a stroke again. It seems to be the, the reoccurring pattern that he has a stroke and it like resets everything. He came to it and um, he came back out. Now, during this whole experience, I had to make a decision of, do I bring my dad out to Australia where he's going to have better health um, and be looked after and supported where he'll have, um, get on the pension and he could be closer to us and if I need to, I can help him. And of course, at this age, 27, 28, I'd been running a, um, a program of working full time. I was very organized and I thought, yeah, I can take this on. Like I can do this. How hard can it be? Like dad can sort of look after himself. He's come back to it. He's good again. Um, and I'll just set him up with everything and then help him out here and there. Little did I know. So I had agreed to bring him out to Australia. I was 28 years old. Um, I had my whole life ahead of me. I was working full time and, um, you know, as you do sort of 28, like going out and eating out and drinking and seeing your friends and stuff like that. Um, and I just really thought that this was going to be easy. And um, actually just before I flew him out, um, he lost his brother. So really unexpectedly, he lost his brother. Um, his brother passed away. Um, he had a, so he had a like kidney, um, situation. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. He had like, um, something wrong with his kidneys or had to flush out his kidneys and he was doing that and maybe had a fall or slip or something happened and he hit his head, um, and passed away really suddenly. Um, and so that was a really difficult time as well. So dad had already gone through so much in his own health and then to, it was like the first brother to pass away. Um, and he had to delay his flights and stuff like that and just hang back for the funeral and, and be there with the family and then he came out to Australia so dad was going through a lot of um, emotions and it was just absolutely <laughs> so much happening um, and I remember picking him up from the airport I love this with the Lebos the connections that they have they put him in a priority so they gave him a wheelchair and they wheeled him out and I'm thinking why is dad in a wheelchair like is he that sick and unwell like I can't believe this and then next minute he comes to us and you know, we say hello and stuff. My, my brother came with me actually to pick him up from the airport and he like just flips those things on the feet and stands up and just like, hey guys. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> Bloody legend. Um, but he came out here reasonably well. Um, he seemed pretty switched on compared to the dad that left. Um, just, yeah, seemed quite lively and happy and, you know, they obviously had changed his medication and so um, he was doing really, really well. Um, so like I had mentioned, my brother and sister didn't have much to do with him and um, it was great that my brother came to support me and pick him up from the airport because I really didn't know what I was um, getting into and I had secured a house for him here just before he'd, he'd left. So we had a rental property, um, I'd organised a pension um, and just sorting that sort of stuff out and I tell you now, trying to organise, if you think you're like an organised person and um, you know can take care of all these things like I was like an assistant at work as it was and so I'm like yeah, yeah yeah I've got this this is fine dealing 
with Centrelink will absolutely ruin this for you because that was a bloody nightmare in itself. But um, yeah, I guess so dad came out here and he was living in a place. I got him a car um, and he was driving and was getting around and it just seemed like, okay, this isn't going to be too bad. Like this is great. He, he, he's, he's fine. But he kind of got mixed up in the scene of um, gambling again and, you know, me and Luna and my, and my brother, we all, like Luna and my brother mainly decided to give it another go and to we would try and go out for dinners for his birthday and Christmas and stuff like that in the next year or so. Um, I would say yeah, it was pro- must have been around to the end of 2017 um, into 2018 and Dad, I don't know, and I think I think only now today, honestly, have I realised that he had been through so much. It was like he'd come out and he seemed fine, but we'd go to dinners and he would just be very bitter and angry and yell and demanding, and it it was just like a flip from like a nice person to next minute just being really angry and frustrated. And I didn't, we didn't understand. And Luna and Ryan, you know, couldn't deal with it. They're like, no, nah, we don't need this in our lives, and they were really good at cutting off. But I was the type of person like, oh, I have to help him. I have to fix him. Like, what's going on? Um, Okay, so like through all of that, he was living in his own place and I would go and like cook meals with him and um, and just clean and stuff like that. And eventually I was like, oh, dad, like you can be doing these things. I don't really need to be doing this. Like I sort of, in the beginning, you've got all the energy and you're like, yeah, I'm going to do all these things. It's kind of like fun and exciting and it's new, it's different. Um, and eventually it took a toll on me because I wanted to just be out. Um, I was kind of half seeing my my boyfriend, ex-boyfriend at the time um, and, you know, just wanted to go out with my friends and stuff. Um, and it just, I felt like I had a child basically that I was looking after and it just became a big burden, unfortunately. And I got really frustrated and angry, um, with him because he wasn't helping himself and he was just doing stupid things that made me having to like chase it up and fix things and, you know, had to move him into a new rental property. Um, and look, he he was going through some crazy stuff. He had some psychotic episodes whilst, you know, out here and, I guess his medication maybe needed to be changed again and it just was such a big learning experience about someone else's mental health and caring for them and I don't wish it on anyone at all if you're your parents carers or if you've been through this or if you work in this industry I mean it's just such a mental toll and so it really did knock me um, and it definitely yeah brought on a lot more stress as well.
get himself in trouble with the law. Um, he stole some sugar off a cafe table outside on the street. I shouldn't laugh. Um, <laughs> okay, so he stole some sugar. The little like cafe, the little sugar sachets that you get. Um, they'll just they sit on the table, and if you have a um, coffee at the cafe, whatever you know, you put your sugar in. Um, he would go past the cafe, and apparently he was doing it quite a few times, um, and would take the sugars. So I don't know what his obsession was with sugar. Um, clearly, we all know sugar is pretty much a drug, so um, he was addicted for sure. But um, this cafe, and I'm just gonna put it out there, were absolute fucking assholes, to be honest. Like you, he, the area that he lived in, and this um, communal. St- this street, this community that he was a part of, they knew him quite well down there and they knew that he wasn't mentally well. So there's a fruit shop a bit further down. And look, Dad, I'm not um, condoning anything that he did at all. Um, but, 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 you know, the fruit shop, he had taken some fruit from then and that's probably worse than the sugars. But um, they had somehow, I can't even remember, I must, I don't know how, but I, we ended up getting in contact with them. Um, they spoke to me. I think it was all through this cafe. So it happened to be that the cafe and the fruit shop further down were related and knew each other. Um, and um, when this all happened, they the cafe, that's right, the cafe had told me. So I went down to the cafe myself and spoke to them. Um, the cafe guy was a, a big dick about it and um, just wasn't happy. And, you know, obviously it's his business. Dad looked homeless. Dad looked like he let, slept on the streets and stuff. So it just wasn't creating good business for him. Um and, and the fruit shop were absolute legends and they were so understanding that they knew that he was mentally unwell. Um, they obviously wanted to stop it. They had him on cameras and stuff like that, but um, they understood the situation. And so, you know, we worked together to try our best to make sure that he stopped doing what he was doing. Dad had money for food. I don't know why he was doing this. I think it was this thrill-seeking experience that he started getting into and just loved the the thought of me getting in trouble I'm not too sure maybe because like I said he was going through so much I don't know I still don't know to this day um but that was happening and I can't I can't get my dates sorted but obviously called the police and reported him um and then I think the police came and called him in action um I think they spoke to him and gave him a warning and and then I think that's the part where he was meant to go to court and face all of this and you know solve it and, and figure it out but he never showed up to the court um, case and I think that might have happened twice and that's one because I didn't know that this was all happening and two um, I didn't get the letters and stuff I didn't get any notification of what was going on and obviously I had to sort that out and change all that make sure I am on top of these things now but um, at the time I just didn't know that it was happening. And so I was currently in um, Sri Lanka and I was on a um, health retreat. I was there for um, doing yoga and meditation and I'd gone on a solo trip by myself to Sri Lanka um, for the first time and booked into this Zen place where (laughs) I needed to just get away from everything that was happening down in um, Melbourne and with dad and it was just so much going on that I just wanted to have this space and time to get away and I remember um, and I'm going to tell you now that the system is absolutely flawed um, because it just like it just fucking pisses at me right off that people in a place of power and I'm going to explain it still have the mentality or the way of thinking that they do and it's kind of scary I mean obviously we all know everything that's been going on with 
with police and um, yeah, it's just really, really frustrating situation that could have been completely avoided, but just, you know, one person at the head of it all is a dick. So whilst doing a yoga class, I was um, maybe there, I think it was my second week, 14 days in Sri Lanka all up, but I think it was my second week and I got a phone call and usually I, you know, I'm pretty bad like this, but I scan my calls and I don't answer if it's a number that I don't know. Um, but for some reason, I went downstairs and answered the phone and it was a constable. Um, and they called me to tell me that dad had been remanded and um, that he was in custody, basically. I had no idea what remanded meant at all, um, that he was going to be given no bail. He was going to jail, pretty much. It was just, I don't remember the, the conversation, to be honest, because I just think I was like what is actually happening right now is this for real and I, I just instantly felt fear for him and the empath in me came out and again I was just like oh my god where is he what is he going through is he in a jail cell right now and who can he talk to and I asked I said can I talk to him and they said oh he doesn't want to talk to anyone and I'm like I don't care I want to talk to him they said no you can't you're not allowed to talk to him I'm like this is bullshit and because I guess maybe he was in the remands like they had to go through a full process but he spent like let me or maybe nearly a week in remand, I think, and then <laughs> um, went into a full jail cell in the city. So I do want to talk more about this, but I've just realized that I've already spoken for about an hour. So I might have to do a part two to this episode um, so that I can tell you the experiences that come with having a loved one in jail um, and something that I never, ever thought would have happened to me or us as a family um, and the journey of going through that was a lot. Okay guys I'm going to wrap it up here and I'm going to do a part two of this um, episode and go into the second half of my dad's life pretty much and caring for him and what that's like and then where I am currently um, at the moment as well with it all. So um, thank you for listening. I know there was a lot in there. It's a big loaded episode. Um, I hope you can respect and um and just appreciate me being open and honest about everything that um, happened. And I will speak to you in the next episode. If you enjoyed the episode, it would mean the world if you could please like, share, rate and review. If you want to hear more, please hit the follow button above. Until next time, stay mind fit, spread positivity. And remember, everything you need is already within you.